Welcome to Purpose 360. I'm Carol Cohn. And I'm Chris Noble. And we're on a journey to explore the brightest and most innovative minds and initiatives in social purpose. Today, companies and brands must stand for something meaningful. They have to have a social purpose and bring that purpose forward to their employees, their customers, and their community. Each episode, we're talking to leaders at Fortune 100 companies, global brands, social enterprise startups, NGOs, and everything in between. We'll be taking a deep dive to learn how they are integrating purpose into their organizations. To benefit both business and society for enduring impact. Join us. Welcome to Purpose 360. I'm Carol Cohn, and I am so excited today because I have a dear, dear friend, as well as a client, joining me, PJ Marshall, and she is co-founder and executive director of Restore the Earth Foundation. Now, I have to just, I have to just tell you about PJ. She is a force of nature, albeit she's in, in the environmental space. Um, she is so smart. She's dynamic. This is her third or fourth career. She is disruptive, but with a smile. She's a fabulous partner and, um, her vision is expansive. And this is also climate week in New York, as well as, um, through the United Nations. And so that's why we're having this show because PJ is going to discuss her commitment to the environment in a very special way. So welcome PJ. Carol, it's so great. It's so great to be with you. I'm embarrassed. Oh, I'm embarrassed. oh no, you should be embarrassed because <laughs> you're great. Now, let me just start. So I want to ask our listeners, what if there was a technology that could protect, even restore the environment? It could clean the air and water. It could shelter wildlife and power communities and provide jobs, even help reverse climate change. Oh my God, we need that. Don't we? We absolutely need that. Well, guess what? That technology exists and it's called a tree. And that's why today during climate week, um, that I'm so excited again to have PJ joining us in our show. So let's get started. Um, PJ, tell us a little bit about your background and how you started Restore the Earth Foundation. Actually, Carol, I spent over 40 years in the private sector and advising major corporations during that uh, period of time on their uh, short-term and long-term strategic planning. And once my husband and I, quote unquote, retired, we realized that we had been so fortunate um, in our lives, not only experiencing the uh, American dream, but that we really wanted to have an opportunity to give back. And a way for us to give back was in an area of um, looking at how we could uh, support and restore our natural resources. And, And it really, was generated um, by a disaster, which was Hurricane Katrina, which really kind of mobilized us to begin to think about how we could uh, play a significant role, or at least an impactful role, or a catalytic role, in addressing this disaster and moving restoration forward. And and you were, it's my understanding that you were in the White House during Katrina um, at an event. That's right. And you also, and you also have a tie to um, Louisiana and where obviously tremendous horrific um, impacts happened. So talk a little about how, when the light bulb went off, what happened? Well, actually, we were at the White House conference on conservation watching Hurricane Katrina barrel into the Gulf Coast, the exact day that it hit the Gulf Coast. And, um, you know, as as all of us felt at that point in time, how in the world could we help uh, what was going on down there? First, looking at the disaster, at the human disaster as it related to 
the people and their loss of lives and and businesses and homes. And uh, so what ended up happening actually is one of our relationships with the USDA Natural Resource Conservation Service um, had, we had worked with them um, in the past on some projects when we were in the private sector, both Marv and I. And they brought us down to the Gulf Coast to actually meet with members of the communities that had been, uh, had the greatest hit by Katrina and were experiencing the worst of its uh, disastrous um, storm. And interestingly, the, the community who, you know, many of these people just had slabs for homes and, and were living in trailers. Uh, joined us in a community center and literally lined the community center three and four deep. And the one thing they were asking us to help them with um, was to begin to restore their forest. Most people in the United States didn't realize that uh, that it this Katrina was also the largest forestry disaster in the United States. The human disaster was so humongous that it was difficult for us to wrap our heads around the fact that ecologically it was a major disaster as well. But for these communities along the Gulf Coast, the forest, the natural systems, were, are their livelihood, their legacy, and their uh, culture. And so it was very important for them that those forests, uh, uh, that we began to restore those forests, and they felt like they were overwhelmed and helpless to do so. And so that really was a big motivator for Marvin and I, and we just jumped in. Didn't necessarily know what we were doing, but we jumped in. <laughs> but you have, it's, in a way, it's been beneficial that you didn't have 20, 30 years in the not-for-profit world, you took your business acumen and you began to create a very unique model. So can you explain that you brought, you know, A plus B plus C and it, and it became this amazing approach to um, what you're calling landscape scale restoration. So I've asked lots of things. So one, can you explain what's the vision of Restore the Earth? What is landscape scale restoration? And then the third part is, who are the parties that come together to do this? Well, when you're looking at landscape scale restoration, you know, a lot of us are familiar with uh, restoration. If we've uh, planted a tree in a park or we planted a tree in a, you know, in a nature center, you know, a lot of restoration is done on, on, and, and all of it is value, uh, of value, but it's done on a relatively small scale. You know, even a hundred acres at a time is considered a small scale. But landscape scale uh, restoration really starts taking into consideration thousands and tens of thousands of acres of restoration at a time. And it's, it's really a holistic approach when you're doing it at, at that size of acreage. It's a holistic approach that integrates the environmental, social, and economic concerns within a restoration framework. So that, that not only are you restoring the ecosystem, you're ensuring that you've got a restoration of habitat and communities are being restored and are being enhanced by restoration and self, self-sustaining systems. And that's really important because, you know, we all are interdependent upon each other. Um, all species, all habitat, all ecosystems. And so it, it becomes then a very, it has very impactful co-benefits and brings um, tremendous amounts of environmental, social, and economic value to these uh, communities and areas. And it can have impacts, not just on a regional basis, but on a national and a global basis. Great. So let's talk about your signature project. 
um, you call it North America's Amazon. Yes. And it's it's a million acres um, in the Mississippi Basin. So can you explain to our listeners the scale of that, the scope, your vision? You, you already have some partners working there. It's It's extraordinary. It's a huge idea that can have a big, big impact. I'd love to. And, you know, the first thing I'd like everybody to do that if that are all the listeners that are uh, hearing this podcast is, first of all, Google uh, the Mississippi River Basin, because what we always find is most of us living here in the United States have no idea how huge the Mississippi River Basin is. It's the third largest watershed on Earth. It is the number one, it houses the number one breadbasket of the globe, and it's the heart and lungs of the United States. So take a moment, and I think you'll be just totally surprised as to how huge the Mississippi River Basin is. And within this Mississippi River Basin that we all rely on, you know, you have hundreds of millions of people and billions of dollars in economic value coming out of this Mississippi River Basin. But also because it's been uh, utilized so much, in particular over the last hundred years, it also ends up being one of the most, well, the most ecologically degraded area in the United States. And as you get farther down the river from like Southern Illinois and Illinois into the Gulf Coast, you also will find that there's heavy ecological degradation there because of all the tributaries flowing into that, which is all of human activity from all over these 31 states that this um, area covers. But you will also find a large concentration of underserved communities. So in the partnerships that we've developed um, over the 14 years that we've been engaged in restoration, our, uh, some of our key par- partners have been U.S. Fish and Wildlife and um, the USDA Natural Resource Conservation Service. They actually came to us as a result of our su- successful partnerships and pointed out that this degradation uh, that had taken place was obviously having not only a national impact, but a global impact in that all of this um, degradation was impacting the dead zone in the Gulf of Mexico, which then was flowing from the Gulf Stream up into the Atlantic. So we had impacts in the oceans as well. So, uh, but they had been studying this area for over 20 years and determined that if we began restoration, just started reforestation of this area, and in particular, the area from the Southern Illinois into the Gulf Coast where at one time there was, there were 24 million acres of forest and now just 5 million acres remain. If we began restoration of a million acres, which is a tipping point, that we could begin to reverse the impact of this degradation, not only on the land, but in in the Gulf and the oceans, by 12%. We also had the ability from from a standpoint of the climate footprint of the United States to begin to offset or or reduce the climate footprint in the United States by um, 2%. And if we did a million acres in reforestation in North America's Amazon, uh, we would have the ability to generate over $12 billion in economic value. So, you know, here it is right here in the middle of the United States. We're starting with a million acres that has a regional and a national and a global impact. And it's it's something that for all of us in the United States, we can see what taking action can do. We can also visit the site, get in the mud and help plant the trees. And we can follow the progress of this forest being reestablished and growing year after year. And I know that that I've had the opportunity um, to be with you in the mud 
um, in Pointe de Chen in Louisiana. And it's extraordinary as a one to see it, to feel it, to smell it. Um, I know that uh, we went up on a float plane to look at the um, the landscape, which is just it's it's beautiful, but frightening that um, what Louisiana is losing a football field size of land. What every hour, every hour, yes, every hour. And um, it's amazing. And now you've got actually climate refugees there, you know, people who are just being isolated where they used to be towns. And now maybe there's one or two houses. There's no schools. And so this work is extraordinary. And I also found that as we were in the mud with some of your partners, um, that it's a visceral experience to actually get your hands muddy, get your feet, you know, in boots and mud and, and see these <laughs> trees growing. So I, I think it's an amazing employee engagement opportunity. Um, and I and I don't know if you want to tell a story about perhaps one of your partners or some of your partners, but I, I think that it's it's not just theoretical in the head. You know, it's in your hands, it's on your feet, it's in your nose. Um, so can you share something with us? Sure. And I think one of the probably what stands out in my mind, we were fortunate enough to have a group of corporate volunteers with us for five days, uh, actually several times. But the group consisted of uh, corporations like uh, Seventh Generation and Eileen Fisher and Cliff Bar. And it was interesting uh, for the and and it doesn't take five days, but I, I it, each and every one of them, when they first came down, and of course didn't know what to expect, and then began to get engaged with uh, seeing what existed, and then participate in the restoration on these sites that were very vulnerable and critical from an ecological standpoint. We actually had. Well, one of the comments that stood out was we had um, uh, the representative from Eileen Fisher share with us that it, this experience over five days just was transformational for her and her group because, you know, to be right there on the ground to see what is and what can be done really just was uh, so impactful for them. And for the whole group, actually, we had them come down twice afterwards because it had such an impact and made such an impression. And they felt so good about knowing that they could actually take action to do something. And for the ones that we bring down and that even just for a day, walk away and keep in touch with us. One, to, to be eager to find out how all the trees are doing. And we're always happy to report to them that we have a 90 to 95% survival rate. And, and when, um, when we have new bird nest, birds nest forming in some of the trees that um, they were involved in planting. So it ends up being something that allows anyone who participates to recognize the value of their actions and what can actually happen as a result of them just taking that first step and next step. Sure. And, and, and that's the human and that's the, the, the team building opportunity. There's also um, the business opportunity. And um, I know that you offset tons and tons of carbon through your projects, but you call these charismatic offsets. So can you talk a little bit about the business value to an organization who participates with you? Sure. So, you know, these, this, our natural systems and our natural forests in particular are so valuable in all of the benefits that they bring to each and every one of us. I mean, we, they, they, these forests allow us to have clean water and clean air. You know, they're, they're in the ecosystems that they're protecting. They support habitats. They support communities as it relates to generating recreational opportunities and, and business opportunities in a lot of ways. And so from our corporate um, partners standpoint, we've, we have an, a large number of corporate funders for Restore the Earth Foundation. And these corporations are interested in having an impact by donating and making investment in our mission 
um, not only from the standpoint of, of reestablishing a uh, healthy ecosystem, but they also see the, the benefits that this brings to the communities where they have their businesses and where they live as well. And one of the things that we developed with them is uh, we wanted to find a way of being able to account for these co-benefits and impacts um, so that we could see if what we were doing was really creating the kind of value that we could see, but we couldn't necessarily provide the data or monetize. And so working with a number of our corporate partners, we developed what we call our secret weapon, which <laughs> is our ecometrics model. And our ecometrics model is a model that can allow us to fully account for the, the value that's being created from an environmental, social, and economic standpoint. And we can monetize, we can monitor and then monetize what's taking place as a result of this uh, restoration. And when we monetize the co-benefits and impacts, we can put them in a report that we then have third-party verified that our corporate partners can then account for the this value creation, the uh, market and non-market values, on their financial balance sheets. And that helps them not only have the information where they can communicate to their multiple stakeholders as to what their investment is returning and, and priority for the communities and, um, you know, in the, in the communities where we're doing the restorations and, and restoration and the, um, and the ecosystems, but it also allows them to, when they communicate that to their stakeholders, it also allows them to show the kind of value that's being created in those communities and how the added benefits of this restoration are really having not just short-term impacts, but long-term impacts. The offsets and this model, it's not a one-for-one. It's not invest a million dollars and gain a million dollars in benefits. It's much larger than that. Much. Um, what is the current ratio? Because I hear it's quite, <laughs> quite extraordinary. Well, if we were doing it conservatively, it's for every $1 of private investment that goes into the, the restoration uh, activity, we say conservatively nine to $12, but we have been able to demonstrate on the projects that we have in North America's Amazon that actually for every $1 of private investment that's made, we're able to account for a $36 return in environmental, social, and economic value. So, you know, Everybody knew that these ecosystems were very valuable and providing major benefits. Uh, they knew the number was big, but, you know, they kept discounting the number because there wasn't a means to mm -hmm. actually collect the data to legitimately substantiate that. Well, we're substantiating it and, you know, it's, it's quite, quite that it, it's creating quite a bit of value from an environmental, social, and economic standpoint. And, and I know that that you and Marv, um, you know, your shared brain, uh, Marv Marshall, your husband, that because of your business experience, that not only did you have your heart in restoration, but you had your head because you knew to do the scale that you needed to reach. Um, for the country, for business, for individuals, local communities, you had to be able to measure it. And that's what is so profound, because in the work I've been doing for over 30 years with not-for-profits, it's, you know, oh, their heart's in it, but they never have the measurement right. And so can you worked with the IRC as uh, Social Value International, um, to create this model, it wasn't easy. Why did you go to these two entities and how long did it take to create the model that is validated and it's credible? Well, first of all, when, our, when we started talking with our corporations about uh, 
pulling a, a model like this together, we thought, well, gosh, there are brilliant brains around the globe. This, this model must be out there. We'll just adopt it. <laughs> what we found was that there wasn't one available, but there were puzzle pieces that were very important components in pulling a model together. So we made a major investment. It took over three years and we adopted the method of the internationally um, accepted methodologies and protocols of Social Value International, which is out of London. And what they had the ability to do was to, to account for and monetize the social return on investment. And so we've, we've incorporated their uh, methodologies into Ecometrics. And then we also found in coincidentally, which was out of London, was the International um, Integrated Reporting Council's framework on being able to apply integrated reporting to um, to, uh, to the bottom line. And what they use is they use general accounting practices, but they look at the full integrated value of an investment. So the environmental, social, and economic value of an investment. So we incorporated their methodologies and protocols uh, from a, uh, a financial standpoint into the ecometrics. Then from the internet, the highest, um, high, uh, the internationally accepted uh, carbon sequestration methodologies and protocols of the American Carbon Registry here in the United States, the California Action Reserves uh, methodologies and protocols. And right now also we're working to incorporate a water quality trading uh, methodology com and component into the model. So it's it's a very robust, uh, very uh, highly accredited. It's stakeholder based and it's scientifically driven. And, and so, and I know that it is so well crafted that there are organizations and corporations utilizing the Ecometrics model for their own uh, measurement and analysis. That's correct. So it's not just for North America's Amazon projects. That's correct. In fact, we're working right now in incorporating it where we're creating for the solar industry. Um, it's a regenerative energy solar industry uh, standard, and the basis of it is the Ecometrics model. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, why don't we let's talk a little about the climate action reserve because um carbon offsets you know there was a long time that it would take to apply them to a balance sheet but that has significantly changed that's a huge bellwether for companies who truly want to get involved in um disruptive projects such as North America's Amazon that's right well you know what historically if you wanted to invest in a uh, carbon offset project um, and, and it was reforestation based with the registries, you invested in that reforestation project and then you'd have to wait 40 years to account for and benefit the carbon offsets that were being created by that forest because you had to wait for the trees to grow. And the, and uh, the trees takes a while. Yeah, it takes a while for those trees to grow. Takes a while for those trees to grow. Yeah. But the innovation that has been developed because we, you know, forests, as you alluded to in your introduction, are the you know one of the most valuable resources that we have, and uh, to address climate change and other major natural resource concerns that we have, and the climate action reserve has taken an innovative approach where they've developed a climate forward program. And this climate forward program allows for a corporation or an entity to invest in a valuable reforestation project that is permanent. That means that it's going to be around. It's, it has a permanent conservation easement on it and can't be harvested. And under those certain criteria, that investment, when the investment is made, the corporation can account for the carbon offsets that are going to be created by that forest 
upfront. So yeah, critical we, change. Yeah, big critical change. You can project out over 40, 40 years scientifically and determine what those offsets are going to, high value offsets are going to be and take credit for it today. That's, that's fantastic. That's, that's a great development. Um, let's, so again, your business people who decided we're not going to retire, we're going to deal with some of the biggest challenges to the environment um, in our world, and you created Restore the Earth. And since you've created North America's Amazon project and your Ecometrics model, um, you have gotten worldwide interest. And so you were um, contacted by um, the Chinese Conservation Foundation um, to share your knowledge uh, with them uh, regarding challenges to the Yangtze River. And you were invited. Um, I know that you uh, went to China about a year ago now. So can you talk a little bit about um, that experience, um, what you learned when you were in China and why uh, there's a lot of um, coalition building uh, through uh, environmental needs? Yes, I'd love to. And and I'd like to uh, kind of start that out by saying, you know, the major watersheds of the globe have a major degradation in these watersheds. Look at the Amazon, look at the Yangtze River, look at the Congo. And yet these watersheds are so critical to the health of our not only ecosystems on the land, but our ecosystems because they flow into our, our oceans. Um, they have an impact on our oceans. And so you know, addressing not only North America's Amazon as third largest watershed on Earth, but these other watersheds and and being able to restore these degraded areas can have a major impact, again, on the environmental, social, and economic issues that we're all experiencing. And so we were asked that the Chinese were very interested in the private-public partnerships that we had developed and also our ability to develop, again, from a business standpoint, an impact investment model that allowed for large amount of large amounts of investment to come to the table to make these kinds of restoration efforts happen at a landscape scale. So we were asked to uh, come to China to uh, see some of the challenges that they were experiencing and to really um, sit around the table and determine how we could take our model and put a Chinese spin on it, so to speak, that they could adopt to uh, replicate the same kind of approach at the, sa at the same uh, level, and if not more from the Chinese, and uh, at a greater scale, actually, that we were addressing in North America. Now, what we did find out about the Chinese is that they, because you are dealing with uh, a different governmental system, is once they make a decision, even with the private sector driving the bus, that the public sector can take action at a much bigger scale. We didn't realize that they had before, uh, I think it was the uh, 2004 Olympics, planted 60 billion trees <laughs> and yes and that's so that that's large that's large and just after we were there they had made another commitment to plant 60 billion trees and the chinese government had assigned 20,000 soldiers to plant these trees so that's a little bit of the difference that can take place there you go in scale that's scale that's scale that, and that's a butter, not guns, yeah. <laughs> or, or trees, yeah. so, so to speak. Um, what was the one? I mean, I know you just—it was an enthralling, uh, um, and you know, trip. What was uh, one story that really stands out for you? Um, I think it's the story of how they they had come together um, on a on, on a number of endangered species in the Yangtze River. Uh, there's a finless dolphin that it started with that they were finding that the finless dolphin that uh, had been so plentiful in the Yangtze River was disappearing. 
And uh, that they, when they made a commitment to protect and to uh, reestablish uh, the healthy systems for that dolphin to make a comeback, it also really triggered a number of other initiatives to address other endangered species that were being impacted by the degradation on the land and in the river. Um, and so I, to see the people come together and how committed they were to really make the changes that were necessary to accomplish not only a healthy ecosystem you know, on a smaller scale to start with, but they were seeing results. And as a result of, of being able to uh, realize these species recovering, that was just spurring them on as it does for us as well. To, to really make bigger commitments and do larger scale work. Great, great. Um, for our listeners, we were going to put in the show notes, there's a wonderful four-part um, newsletter um, blogs that uh, Restore the Earth um, wrote about on their trips. So we will include a link to that. So I know you have some exciting news about a partnership with Dow and the Olympics. Um, can you uh, share that with us, please? Uh, absolutely. Um, we were really excited about this. Um, Dow has been the official carbon partner of the IOC, the International Olympic Committee, and um, the Olympics and then the Olympic Games for a number of years. And um, what they were bringing to the table over these years is really addressing scientific and technical approaches to reducing carbon emissions for the games, whether it was related to facilities or related to um, uh, participants' uh, activities or related to those who were coming over and enjoying the Olympics, their flights. And what they had realized is over the years, as, as successful as some of these programs have been, it was very difficult for them to address uh, all of the, the carbon emissions or the scale of carbon emission reductions that they were really interested in, in achieving. And so they reached out to Restore the Earth to become uh, their nature-based, for Restore the Earth to become their nature-based solution partner uh, as the for the 2020 Olympics in Tokyo. And so we've been really excited about this. And, and so what we're doing is um, Dow has made a commitment to demonstrate the impact of investment in reforestation. And so um, they have made an investment in the reforestation of 200 acres of forest, high value forest. And in making that investment, they're sharing um, all of the activities that go into uh, not only preparing for the reforestation, but the actual reforestation. And they are tracking all of the benefits um, that are generated uh, above and beyond the carbon uh, sequestration that will be taking place, but the uh, other natural resource benefits um, that are generated out of these kinds of reforestation projects. So their whole team has come together and, and has been really um, uh, invigorated by being a part of this project because they just with the short term of our involvement, which has just been over the last couple of months as we've been pulling this together, they can see the value of being engaged in these reforestation projects. And again, it makes them feel like they can make a difference by stepping up and being involved in these kinds of reforestation projects. Oh, that's that's well, that's very exciting. So we look forward to hearing more news about that. Um you have very special relationships with your partners. And um, again, uh, public-private partnerships, uh, the great ones uh, are based on really understanding how to interact with a partner. Can you give us a couple insights about, to anyone who's listening, because anyone who is, um, they, they are working on partnerships all the time or they're in the middle of them? Well... <laughs> 
some of them are the simple things we learned in grade school, right? Do what, <laughs> do what you say you're going to do. Um, I think the first part of it is, is that uh, we've built trust with our partners and vice versa in that the, our intentions are clearly stated in, and out on the table as we begin our partnerships. And um, what we've been able to do with our public partners and our private partners is we, we also always say you need to bring gifts to the table. Um, we always make sure that when we pull our collaborative partnerships together, that we're bringing something of value to the table. And if it's not our experience and awareness, which usually, sometimes it wasn't even there, we would bring to the table um, money in hand uh, to start the process where our hand wasn't out for a handout. We brought money in hand and then would sit down with our partners and determine how that money could be matched by our private partners and our public partners. And, and then um, every project and initiative that we've been involved in has been clearly defined and clearly uh, defined in the expectation of each partner. And it's, I have to say, and I'm knocking on wood, has been delivered seamlessly every time because the intent and the purpose was very clear for um, everyone involved in the partnership and the expectations and timeframes of delivery, delivery were clear and everyone uh, basically celebrated at the end our ability to overcome uh, challenges and hurdles to actually get, it, get major projects on the ground in a very successful and productive way. We always like our guests to provide key insights for our listeners. So PJ, I'd like to ask you, what are your top three insights for companies who want to address climate change with breakthrough projects? Well, first of all, look for great projects that are going to have major impact from an environmental, social, and economic standpoint. So it's not just environmental. It's all three. All three. And look for projects that are of scale that can have the kinds of impacts that we need to have happen. And, and be open to um, making the kind of investment, not, it, it's going to take a, it's going to take a major investment for major returns. Look at the investment from the standpoint of how it will impact your company short and long term. From, from a standpoint of providing you returns and, you know, maintaining your brand and keeping you in business over the long term. How does one find these disruptive breakthrough projects? I mean, honestly, I would have to say you need to you need to be a sleuth and search for them because sometimes these projects do, you know, aren't highly visible and you're not going to, uh, it's not going to be easy as Googling something. We always like to ask, but what is your personal purpose? I, I know you hear this all the time, is to leave the world a better place than, you know, when I'm gone, um, then I found it. I, I know that sounds corny, but it is a driver because the, my children, my grandchildren, you know, from a from a generation standpoint, I'm really interested in contributing. It it's providing for generational equity. And then, is there anything else you'd like to add that we haven't covered? Gosh, Carol, you and I never finish conversations. You know, it's always ongoing. <laughs> I know it's ongoing. Um, but is there any uh, other partnership you'd like to talk about, or some other elements of um, the foundation's growth? I think that I think what what I would like to leave everybody to think about, and again, it's it's going back to the way the way we're going to really have impact is uh, we have run into a number of really major corporations that really have big visions, and they're going to make things happen in a very big way uh, for us to address these these earths and global challenges. 
from our, from my standpoint, I would just like everyone not only to think big and have these big visions, but to start taking action. Stop talking about it and start taking action to do something. I know that you've got a series of um, big projects that are, ta- you know, they take a long time to get through vision and lawyers and contracts. I know you can't name names, but can you just say a little bit about the type of project that you are negotiating relationships with? The major corporations that we are engaged with right now in in, in developing these uh, contracts are major multinational corporations. And they are committed to doing something, uh, to take action to do something that has major impact related to climate change and toward having a carbon neutral world sometimes in 2050 are many of their goals, but they're willing to step up to the table and invest tens of millions of dollars, if not hundreds of millions of dollars in this initiative because they see the value and the return on this investment as it relates to uh, climate change, and carbon neutrality and and healthy ecosystems and the and valuing natural resources. So it's not just one corporation, it's not just two. It's it's more than a handful. And um and and those are well underway. And and you have a all-star team that you have pulled together for every single portion of your relationships. And you can either name names or just talk about the elements, but um, it, it's astounding. Again, you know, you're not hundreds of employees. Um, you're, you know, a smaller organization, but you scale via new models of relationship. You have like the best legal counsel. Um, can you just talk a little bit about your team members? Sure. So first of all, um, Restore the Earth is fortunate to have Latham Latham and Watkins. They're an organization that we have found are are not only experts in the legal area, but we call them deal makers in the most positive way because they are really, really savvy about bringing the best partners together to have the biggest impact. So we're grateful for them. We have, from the standpoint of um, uh, the impact investment side, we have a a group from Goldman Sachs, former Goldman Sachs people who have been totally responsible for structuring our impact investment that these major corporations are investing in. So we're most grateful for that. We're involved with the Climate Action Reserve and the American Carbon Registry in a heavyweight and Terra Carbon from a greenhouse gas design as a consulting firm. And then Ed Panero, who is the former senior vice president of Veolia, heads up our ecometrics um, and knows the challenges and the benefits inside and out from corporate, uh, the corporate business case and corporate investment uh, and being able to account for the um, value of that investment. Um, that's all I'm th- and then our key public partners are U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, uh, Division of the Department of Interior, and the USDA Natural Resource Conservation Service, who has, who both of them have major out-of-the-box strategic thinkers who want to accomplish the same kind of scale of healthy ecosystems. Um, and we're most grateful for them. Yeah, yeah. I think it's it's you know, unless you really spend a lot of time with you, I, I'm and I encourage those who have an interest in the type of work you do, this is totally the all-star team. 
Um, and, and again, it's it's for the public and private, and it's for the environmental, social, and economic um, impacts. So um, congratulations to you. So is there anything else? I know I've been teasing out a few things. What about your, you have an, an investment impact fund we as do. well that we didn't ask about. We do. We do. We, we found, again, bringing our business approach to a not-for-profit, you know, not-for-profit typically are going from one project to the next. And it became very apparent to us that to do the kind of work we needed to do at scale, we needed to have a business approach to bringing in the kind of investment dollars that um, are required to do this million acres. So we have an impact investment fund that was actually structured by our Goldman Sachs and our uh, Latham team. And that uh, impact investment fund allows investment to come to the table and uh, engage in a private-public partnership. It does deliver returns at the end of the day. And uh, so what we're able to do is attract uh, the kind of impact investor which uh, to the table for the kind of dollars that are required. We also incorporated into this is that we have the ability to make voluntary carbon offsets available to those corporations who are involved in uh, wanting to acquire voluntary carbon offsets. And we will also, within that impact investment fund, uh, sometime down the road, be able to, to do biodiversity and water uh, credits at the same time. So it's, again, taking a business approach to attracting the kind of investment partners that we like to work with and that are required to do uh, restoration at the scale. And, and you, I know that you have some announcements coming up on the next few months. Yes, we do. We'll save that for another time. We will save that for another time. So, so this has been delightful. Um, I want to thank PJ Marshall um, from Restore the Earth Foundation. Uh, you have been um, such a shining light to take uh, combined business and government and uh, public-private partnerships to truly um, advance landscape-scale restoration. Um, and... It's your vision. Um, it's your ability to attract prescient leaders who understand that scale is important, but also that they need a business return as well as means to show a social return and then have um, a credible and validated means, the Ecometrics model, um, to report uh, um, on the progress and the measurements. So we wish you um, continued success. And um, we are thrilled that this is airing during Climate Week. And we will just say to our listeners, um, if you want to invest in a business-oriented, socially impactful, action-oriented, uh, climate-impacting uh, project, uh, reach out to PJ and her team. And I would just like to end our podcast always with the question for our listeners, what is your purpose.